Hi, I'm Rachel Gray. And I'm Debbie Ratcliffe. And welcome to our podcast. Speak. Yes. <laughs> a podcast from Being Studio. Being Studio is a community of artists with developmental disabilities. In this podcast, we'll bring you the stories and voices behind the artwork at Being. And today, we're bringing you stories from Jesse Huggett. How would you describe Jesse, Debbie? Jesse is very bubbly. She's happy all the time. She's amazing. Um, she is stronger than I am in many ways. I um, really respect her. Um, I love her artwork. She's strong. And I care about her a lot. She's a fighter. I find her very strong that way. She's a fighter. And I think her, her fight looks like joy. Yeah. Like enthusiasm and energy. She's very bubbly that way. She's very enthusiastic about things. One thing about Jessie is if she's watching a movie or if she's talking about something that's exciting to her, like she just like emotes it. You know, she, she emotes that experience. It's like it's happening to her in real time. Like the level of excitement that she brings to her relationships and her projects is really, truly stunning. Yeah, she's like a sister from a different twister. I love her that way. She's fun. She's really fun. And before we really get started, I just want to say that I have a different kind of relationship with this story than with any of the other stories we've told so far. Jessie and I have been friends for almost 20 years, so I'm in this story deep, really deep. So now, I'll pass it over to Jessie, my incredible friend. Hi, my name is Jessie Huggett. I have chocolate straight brown hair and blue eyes just like the ocean, and I have Down syndrome. And, and this is the story of my journey with Moya Moya. When I had a stroke, brain surgery, and another stroke. In this story, you'll hear from my dad. It would take me a million adjectives to describe Jesse, not all of which um, go under the same category. <laughs> my mom. There's so many things about the reality of it that I don't remember, but I remember the internal parts. And my circuses, aka my friend Rachel. Hey, it's me again. You already know what I sound like. And her mom, Kathy. I actually can't remember my actual first impression because mm -hmm. I don't even remember when the first time I met you would have been because you just seem like you've always been a part of our family. Okay, Jess, are you ready? I was born ready. <laughs> This is Jessie Hackett speaking. I'm at the Boston Children's Hospital, ready to get my surgery. And I just wanted to let you guys know that I love you and 
Thank you for your prayers and your positive thoughts. So I just wanted to say thank you and I can't wait to get to the other side so that way I can live my future. Part one, my dad. Okay, so dad, what did the doctors tell you at the hospital in Bedford? Well, Jess, I remember being in a very small room and your mom and I kind of pacing about nervously and there was a change in shifts and um, suddenly it's like we blinked and oh, there was this guy sitting in this chair looking up at us and he was very honest with us and he says, he said, Jesse has suffered a series of strokes brought on by an extremely rare condition called Moya Moya. He proceeded to describe what it was, which is that your carotid arteries were deteriorating, providing less blood flow to your brain. And just before we could kind of fully panic, we got lucky, I guess. The guy then said, now there's an operation that she can get to fix all this. What was the plan? Well, the plan was uh, to get you help as soon as possible, but this was a condition we didn't know much about. So immediately we burst into a million questions asking anybody we could about what resources were available. They kind of told us the kind of surgery that was required. And then right away, we started beating the bushes to try to find the right doctor to operate on you. So we talked um, to, uh, eventually it was doctors in Ottawa, doctors in Toronto, and uh, doctors in Boston. Dr. Smith in Boston, who ultimately performed the operation, was yeah. very, very nice. We called him on spec from Biddeford. And as luck would have it, in Boston, which is not far away from Biddeford, Maine, here was North America's, really the world's leading Moya Moya expert. And he picked up the phone, he was eminently available, and he told us all kinds of information. No question was, you know, too stupid. He came up with intelligent, detailed uh, stuff for us, educated us about the whole thing, and was looking for no reward at that point. He was just saying it because he was a very conscientious guy who was worried about us and was trying to help you know us as a family as much as he could. So there was kind of no question in the back of our mind that this was the guy to go to. Okay, so there's questions for you and mom about the about the Boston about Boston. Okay. So what was I like in the hospital in Boston? Right after my operation and stroke. Wow. Well, you know, going into it, Jess, you were extraordinarily brave. And there wasn't a moment of my life around that time that I was not inspired by your, your bravery. It was just, it was stunning. Uh, very admirable. You know, this operation was a success. So that was the good news. Um, you know, based on that information, I went back to where we were staying, not far from the hospital in Boston. And I was so exhausted, I didn't even bother checking my messages, which was a really big mistake. And I got up in the middle of the night and I went, oh man, my messages, I didn't check, what a jerk. And I checked my messages and I saw that there was one from your mom saying, yikes, come back. Jesse has had a post-op stroke. And as soon as I read that, I bolted out of bed. I don't know what time in the morning it was, but I remember running <laughs> through the snowy streets of Boston all the way to the hospital which was about six or eight blocks away, in the snow, crying my eyes out, beating myself up for the fact that I wasn't there 
when it happened that I was so exhausted, I went to bed without even thinking about looking at my messages. And when I got there, oh my God, Jess, I was absolutely apoplectic. And there you are in, you know, kind of a, a, a chromatic state. And as you can appreciate, it was very, very dramatic. We spent a lot of time in a very, very small, dark room with you, you know, more or less comatose, holding your little hand. We had some gentle piano music that you really liked playing. And I remember that music, listening to that music over and over and over and over and over again. And I remember a moment where you came out of your coma and you sat up and you looked at me and you said, you know something, Dad? And I said, what, Jess? And you said, you're the love of my life. And then you closed your eyes and you went back into a sleepy state. Well, the emotional impact of that on me was incredible. I excused myself from the room. I went down the hall to a bathroom, which was the nearest private space I could find. I closed the door and I cried like I have never cried before in my life. I fell to the ground in a fetal ball and I bawled my eyes out. And I remember hearing in the hall, two doctors in this Boston Children's Hospital. And you have to appreciate that this is a place that has seen it all. And these doctors are guys who have seen apoplectic parents a billion times on all kinds of scales. They started to have a conversation. Halfway through the conversation, one of them stopped, turned to the other guy and said, wow, do you hear the guy crying in that bathroom? Never heard crying like that in my life. <laughs> and then we were in a position to bring you home. We brought you all the way back to Ottawa and you were virtually kind of not there. You couldn't get out of a chair. You couldn't properly go to the bathroom. You had problems swallowing, eating, almost no memory recall. Okay. Another question for you, Dad, is what were some of the ways that he helped me heal? We were constantly trying to stimulate you to uh, get out of chairs, move about, all kinds of games we played with you that were memory test games. Then there were things like um, trying to regain lost motor skills. You might remember, Jess, us playing with a balloon a lot. You remember that? I remember that. You thought it was just play, but it was actually therapy in disguise. Okay, so, and the other question is, how would you compare the old me to the new me? Wow, Jess, you are like a million miles away from where you were five years ago. Like I said, you came home and you kind of weren't there, and now you're pretty much you again, which is, you know, it's, it's, a miracle. It's a testament to a lot of people who love you, who put in a lot of time with you in a lot of different ways, but it's also a testament, you know, to you and this spirit you have that absolutely nothing can quash. And Rachel, would you like to add on to that? So the other thing I wanted to ask you is just, you talked about how brave Jessie was uh, leading up to her operation. And I was wondering if you could just describe that bravery. Well, as you can appreciate, it's a, a very difficult thing to have to tell your child that they need a brain operation. It'd be a difficult thing to tell anybody. And we were surprised by the fact that she was, I'm certainly not going to say nonplussed by it, but that she appreciated the situation she was in. 
And with a tremendous amount of bravery and commitment, she almost never second-guessed it. Now, you know, had it been me, and I'm a bit of a neurotic character, I admit, I, I think I would have worried about it for every <laughs> single solitary second until it was performed. But Jess lived her life, barely gave it a second thought. And I remembered thinking, wow, there's, there's just a lot to learn from that. There's a tremendous amount to learn from that kind of commitment and that lack of personal worry. <coughs> and actually, I just have one more question that I thought of now, which, um, like, I think of Jesse as a really incredibly strong person, um, just very, very powerful person, very strong person. Um, and I'm curious, from your perspective, what do you think gives Jesse her strength? I think part of it is just innate. I think she was just born with that quality, luck of the draw. Uh, and I think part of it is conditioned. I think part of it is from her mom and her mom's side of the family. Comes from a long line of very, very strong, enterprising, constructive, take no prisoners women. And uh, also some creativity from that side. And I think from my side, a lot of creativity and uh, a lot of playness. And I think, or playfulness, I should say. And I think those two things kind of come together and create this very dynamic, vibrant personality, which is Jesse. Part two, Kathy. Okay. So Kathy, what was it like for you when I was in the hospital? Well, it was a bit complicated to answer that question because you were in the hospital a couple of times. So the first time when we came in Maine, after you had your first stroke, it was really scary because we didn't know what was going on. Why did you have that stroke? So that was really scary. And I think it was really scary for your, everybody. Yeah. But, but we had kind of a party happening in your, ho in your hospital room because yeah. you were actually feeling pretty good. I was. So, but we didn't really know what was going to happen. That's good. And it was a, a different situation when you went to Boston, right, for your right. surgery, because yeah. that, was, that was a big roller coaster, because a lot of good things happened, but some pretty bad things happened, right? So yeah. that was, that was a hard, that's a hard question to answer. Okay. <laughs> well, after your first stroke, when the one that happened in Maine, you had Pretty much you were your typical self, as I recall, except you had a really hard time swallowing. And yeah. do you remember we were trying to be really creative in food options for you? Because yeah. you could only eat thickened liquids and yeah, chewed up food. So do you remember I, I, my, my yeah. star accomplishment? I remember. What do you think my star accomplishment and my food category was? Was pureed pizza. That's right. I'm so proud of that. That sounds so <laughs> disgusting when you say it like that. <laughs> but if you look at the pictures, it looked like pizza. I I've never so seen impressed. it. It looked good. And Jesse, was it good? It was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really delicious. And then when you, um, after your second stroke in Boston, yeah. you had some different issues because 
you again had some trouble swallowing, but we were old hands at that. And we're like, yeah, we got this. We know how to, to, to come up with good things for you to eat. But you had a lot of trouble with your speech. You had a lot of trouble finding words and expressing yourself. So that was really frustrating, I remember, for you. But you also had a lot of difficulty initiating movements. Like, I remember doing song and dance routines for like half an hour to get you to like get off of the bed or out of the chair or, and then once you got up, it was fine. But you had, the stroke caused you to have trouble initiating movement. So nice. your mom and I lost all inhibitions. We would sing and dance in front of anybody. <laughs> mom, I was wondering, can you, uh describe what it means to struggle to initiate motion? Um, well, the sort of a basic explanation is you want to get up or you want to lift your hand or you want to raise your leg in your mind, you know, you want to do that. But because of the connections in your brain, your body just has a really hard time making that connection fire and getting that to work. So different tricks can work for different people. And maybe it's because you're a dancer, Jess, and you love music. I don't know. But for you, somehow singing and dancing helped. I, I don't know why. I had never seen that work with anyone else, but it worked with you. <laughs> also, you got my mom to sing and dance. <laughs> so thanks for that. No problem. <laughs> It doesn't happen very often. No, exactly. It doesn't happen very often. Um, and mom, I have another question. Can you tell us about what your first impressions were of Jessie when you first met her? So I, before I met you, Rachel came home from school and she said, I have a new friend. I have a new friend. She's helped me learn, me learn to spell. So of course I already thought, oh, this is gonna be a good person because Rachel likes her. And you know, not everyone was always nice to Rachel. So I can't remember how much later it was before I actually met you. But of course I was predisposed to like you from the beginning because you were Rachel's friend. <laughs> so, you know, there are lots of stories to tell about you, of course. Yeah. Those good ones and some ones where you got yourself into a little trouble but you know I can't remember all of, I do remember Rachel coming home from school and singing your praises that I remember clearly because she was in a new school and I was so happy she had a friend well actually I thought on I thought on her <laughs> well that is how I met your mother but I, I don't even know how you met Nancy that's how I met Nancy because she, she called up and said, I have to apologize because my daughter sat on your daughter. And were you uh, offended yeah. on my behalf? Well, no, because I think you came home and I don't remember if you told me or you were like, yeah, mom, it's okay. So you were okay with it. Nancy was terrified so I was like it's apparently okay it's okay <laughs> hey Jess do you remember why you sat on me it was because I was going on the, I was playing with the monkey bars and the kids laughed at me 
And that's why I sat on you. <laughs> and you were so un- understanding. <laughs> yeah, that's one point I got in my favor. <laughs> sit, sit on me. I, I understand. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I remember when you and you made up so you made up so many wonderful worlds. And I was like, I was so intrigued by that. And I wanted to, I wanted to like jump in. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for building those worlds with me. No problem. <laughs> yeah. And what would you say I am now? Well, amazing. <laughs> so you know, you're interviewing me on a, for a podcast and yeah, <laughs> after your stroke, you couldn't talk. So, and you're back being a full-time artist and dancer. And that's pretty amazing. I think. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and that is all the questions I have for you. Can I ask you a question? Sure. <laughs> how, how do you think you've progressed? I think I've progressed quite nicely. Yeah, I think so. And after my stroke, I felt like after my surgery, Mm -hmm. I felt pretty downhearted. But now I'm alive and pretty much the happiest person in the whole entire world. Part three, my mom. May 30th, 2016. Jess yells for some help, something she hates needing. I deflect and reroute and no eruption occurs. She starts to brush her hair while sitting on the couch and yells because there's a knot. I ask if I can do it gently. We sit there for 10 minutes, brushing, breathing, Brushing, breathing, we move on. Slightly later, while she's watching Propeller on YouTube, she rarely goes on YouTube these days because it is mostly banned as it overstimulates her and she becomes manic and then aggressive or angry. Many things that used to give her pleasure now send her over the edge and are no longer manageable, a heartbreak. She sees herself in Dream a Little Dream and calls me over. Mom, that's me. Then she starts to cry quietly. I want to do that. I want to be in the performing company again. My heart breaks over and over and over again into so many little pieces. Then I suck it up and say, that's the goal, Jess. That's the goal. Are we not all bruised by the reality of our grief, of our love, of our inability to make it all right? Are we not all awed by how fine an instrument is our brain, our body, our soul, our heart? And finally then, the wonder that it is our friends and family who help us pick up the pieces and create the mosaic that is our life of loving in the grander scheme of the universe. Mom, how do you feel when I was in the hospital? Scared. Shitless, bleepity, 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 bleepity. <laughs> but 
absolutely determined to figure out what was going wrong. All I remember, Jesse, really strongly, and I, I don't know if anybody else has this memory, was because I was the one who went in um, to the MRI room with you, and normally people are not allowed in the MRI room. Yeah. And I was so scared myself as well. And I remember because you were scared to go in the MRI for us to find out. We were scared to go. <laughs> I'm gonna just keep repeating myself after your birth. Because <laughs> you were you were um, terrified to go in the MRI machine. It really, really scared you. But you still really didn't have language. Your language wasn't coming out. And you were holding on to a stuffed animal. And I promised you that I would be there with you. And normally they won't allow people in the MRI room. But I remember I had to hold my arm around the machine in order and I was covered in lead like lead aprons and I had to reach my hand into the machine to hold your hand because I promised I would never let go at the same time this big machine was squashing into my face and making really 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 loud sounds as you know and all I remember was holding on to your hand Just give me a second mom I need to go to, go to the bathroom <laughs> that is so you. <laughs> oh my god. The moment of climax and we all have to pee. Hey Jesse. Yeah. I will say one thing. Like there's so many things about the reality, like maybe what a doctor said or what happened that I don't remember very well. Yeah. But there are other parts where there was a lot of strong emotion that I remember really, really well. Okay. So you being in the MRI was something that I remember <clears throat> because I don't think I've ever prayed so much in my life, <laughs> but I knew that you were scared and I knew I did everything that I could to try and make you less scared. Um, but I also knew that I didn't have the power to make you less scared. And here I was holding on to this, huge scary machine that scared me as well and I had to try to not be scared so I could breathe and I remember Jesse we did our breathing together and our blessing together and all I did was breathe in and out through that big long time okay so uh mom I would like to talk to you about Boston okay what was it like in a hospital in Boston right after my operation and stroke? Um, I'd say that the surgery was long and it went really, really well. The surgery went really, really well. And after surgery went really, really well. And so we thought that this was, well, it was scary and we knew there was a long, there was a bit of a recovery. Mm. We were so excited, Jesse, that it had gone mm. well. And then in the middle of the night, um, also you were, you started vomiting and you couldn't stop vomiting and, um, and things just took a turn for the worse then. And we had thought we had come through what was the hard part and the hard part was actually ahead of us. I do remember um, it was touch and go there for a little bit. We didn't know whether you'd had a series, we knew you'd had a series of strokes. We didn't know whether you were going to have more strokes and we did not know whether you were going to live. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember collapsing on the floor um, and saying I couldn't, 
I couldn't bear to lose both my mother and my daughter within a two or three month period of themselves. Right. Yeah. I also remember when they came in, well, it was really important for them to wake you up and to get some response from you. It broke my heart and scared me not to have any response from you. And I hated the sound of them um, saying, Jesse, Jesse, who are you? Where are you? And I had to, as much as I never, ever wanted to leave the room that you were in when the neurologist came in. What's her name? I had to leave the room because I couldn't stand to hear the non-response anymore. You had no memory. Um, you did remember who I was, but I was actually quite scared that you were going to forget who I was. And I was really scared at that point, Jesse, that you were, unless I was in the room with you, that you were going to forget who I was. So we, we did a lot of trying to remind you of all the people who loved you and the things that you loved in your life and who you were as a person. We did so much dancing to get you up and out and to the bathroom. I remember got, that. Oh my goodness, or to eat and we would sing songs. Oh, we would sing so many songs and I have such a bad voice, it's <laughs> terrible. And mostly we were so incredibly upbeat because you responded well to like high energy. And that was, yes. Exactly. You have a lot of energy, don't you? Some, I do. It's showtime. It was exhausting, but it was primal. Like, there's this primal love for a child that allows you, it does not allow you to ever, ever, ever let go. And so when I would leave the hospital, it would be very close to collapse. Um, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make through it, but I also didn't feel like I had any choice about trying to make it through. There was a beautiful chapel in the hospital that was an all an all faith chapel, and I would go in there at least at least once a day. And I'd have to say I I would try to meditate, but mostly I went through phrases or prayers that I knew when I cried, and that's where I went to cry. I would go in there and I would sob, and then I would leave that there and come out again and go back to trying to be the dancing frog I feel like the dancing frog yeah Carmen the frog no I was thinking about the dancing frog in the Looney Tunes one or something the the opera dancing frog that when everybody only it was the opposite for me when everybody was watching I was dancing and then as soon as there was a a quiet moment I would fall apart Did you learn anything about motherhood that surprised you through this experience? Wow. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm not so sure it surprised me because Jesse, what I'm about to say is, is just that that determination, determination, that determination to care for and get the best care you can for somebody because you love them so much. And it's not a love that is earned or taught or has even, it's just there the moment you give birth. And I knew that the moment, Jesse, we found out that you, that you had Down syndrome. And at one point, people gave us some strange advice about whether we should keep you or not. 
Um, and that was right after your birth. And I knew then and there that I would do, there was a moment when I knew then and there, I would do everything within my power, beyond my power to try and create a good life for you because I just loved you so much. And, but I didn't think after all the years that we spent together <laughs> doing so many strange things, advocating for you, um, you know, fighting for inclusion, arguing with school boards, all the different things that I had to do. I, I thought those were things that then bought us time and space for you to come into your own. And what surprised me most was the fact that, that I had to do this again. So having to do this again, the kind of fighting and determination to just hold on. Um, so that wasn't something I knew that I learned about motherhood, but it was reinforced even more <coughs> that my love for you as a mother was beyond, my love for you as a mother was beyond anything I really had any control over. It was just, it was in my blood to love you and to care for you and to fight for your life in the best way that I could or knew how. So Jesse, I just wonder if you could describe what your mom is like for us. Okay, my mom advocates for me and also she actually fought my battle when I was in high school. And I, 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 and, and you know what I, I took from that? What? What did you take from that? Well, I, I took your advocacy into my own hands. Can I ask you one other question, Jesse, about You me? may. <laughs> like sometimes when we go to bed at night, you bless me. I and, do. And what do you say? I don't know. Do you remember? I don't. You are, may you be? Happy. Oh, I say maybe happy, maybe peaceful, maybe loved, maybe safe and perfect, fully fulfilled. May you find joy in your own true nature. God yeah. bless you and keep you and love you for you are God's God. beloved. And then you say to me, okay, well, never you. mind. No, I don't. Do say you remember? I, I do remember, but. You call me all these wonderful things. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember when I, I, I actually said, May I, no, may you be a wonderful, gorgeous, amazing, talented mom. Yes, that's what you say to me at nighttime. Yeah, and that I always do. makes me. That makes me feel. That makes me feel loved. Yeah, I still. We still bless each other every single night. Yep, even if we're pissed off with each other, right? Yeah. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be peaceful. May you be loved. May you be safe and protected and free from fear. May you find joy in your own true nature. God bless you and love you and keep you. Night, night. Night, night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you. See you. Love you. Love you. Sweet dreams, my darling. Sweet dreams, my lovely, amazing, wonderful mom. Part four, Rachel.
Rachel, what was it like when I was in the, ho- when I was in the hospital? I remember driving down and just not really knowing what we were going to find when we got there and just knowing that something really serious had happened but not not knowing what that was going to mean exactly um and basically it just felt like things were so scary and so horrible in a way that the best thing to do would was to try to build as much joy into the room as we could, kind of to help us all survive and basically try to make you feel better because we knew it was such a hard situation and and we didn't know what it was going to be like. We didn't know what the future was going to be like, but um, from moment to moment, we were trying to make you happy. And you know, it was also kind of weird because like, I think we hadn't had the chance to hang out like that since we were kids. It felt also like going back to like our childhood selves because we'd be like lying in the hospital bed together, you know, watching TV and like spending all our time together and falling asleep yeah. together. I and, remember that. Yeah. And like just like giggling together, like planning weddings, like all this stuff that we used to do when we were nine. But now we were doing it as adults, like in a hospital room in Maine. So it was kind of a surreal situation. It had really horrible elements in it and they would kind of intrude. These terrible moments would intrude, but we were living inside a kind of bubble or that's how I felt. This bubble of like basically a nonstop sleepover. A letter I wrote and never sent. Dear Jesse, I remember the morning in Maine where the fog came down. I was running on the beach without shoes, and it was as if I was nowhere. Everything was white. You were in the hospital then. You must have been, I think, asleep. But you wouldn't have been alone. You were never alone with your dad beside you, or my mom, or me holding your hand, and the nurses coming in saying, hey superstar, hey beautiful. And none of us knew exactly what you were thinking, and all of us trying to distract you, to make such a loud song and dance we could all live inside it. In that fog, any color stood out, and I stopped to watch a boy bobbing strangely in the gray, unable to recognize it. I was just starting to understand the ways your stroke had loosened the boundaries of things. Here, I would like to ask you some questions, like, do you think it's possible for a relationship to take physical form, to become an invisible force, something like gravity, a current that rises, enfolds us, and pulls us back? My handprint is painted on your bathroom wall, with my grade 3 signature written underneath. Every time we pass the bathroom, you say, There is your handprint. There is your handprint. And I say, yes. Then I take my hand and put it over the child handprint, covering it completely. My hand has held yours at so many different sizes. Part five, the pressed dolphin. So Jessie has this painting she made at Being Studio. It's called depressed dolphin. So in the painting, there's a giant dolphin that takes up most of the space. The dolphin is brightly colored, 
and is suspended underwater in a blue sea. Okay, so the pest dolphin looks like a yellow and black dolphin that's under the sea. That is sort of depressed. When you first saw my painting, the pressed dolphin, how did he react? I laughed. It made me laugh. I laughed so hard. First of all, it was so big and joyous. And then when I sort of walked up close to look at the title, it said depressed dolphin. And it made me laugh. <laughs> I didn't think the dolphin looked very depressed. But then it made me think, is the dolphin depressed? Like all of your paintings, I was struck by the colors, which I think really, really represent you. Almost everything you paint has a lot of wonderful brightness and colors bursting out all over, and there's a tremendous amount of life and happiness there. Now, this painting, which is kind of a large yellow fish with black spots and a lovely blue ocean, I got to be honest with you, the fish didn't really strike me as depressed. In fact, he's got a little smudge toward the base of his face that looks like a smile. So when I said, ah, Jess, what does this represent? Thinking it represented you on this journey where you were kind of underwater, floundering, uh, not sure where you were gonna go at large in this big kind of mysterious world, trying to reorient yourself, mm. that you called a depressed dolphin. <laughs> And I don't know that we've ever had a conversation about it, but I can't figure out why you called it depressed dolphin. Can you answer me that? When I was healing from my stroke, I felt like alone and very depressed. It was like I was like a part of the of the of the dolphin. And I felt really de depressed, and that's why I call it a depressed dolphin. Now I feel confident and free, and I, I'm like a free spirit. And what does it mean to be a free spirit? To be a free spirit is basically when you dance, when you appreciate dance and is a way of moving to the beat in your own body and I can be fierce and I can be funny and I can be silly and I can I can be quirky and I don't take no for an, for an answer. Part six, showtime! We are excited, no thrilled, no overwhelmed, no ecstatic to welcome to the stage Jesse Huggett. After a stroke, brain surgery, and a second stroke, Jesse is here, yes, here, to perform for you tonight. Joining her on the stage is Rachel Gray, Rachel's sister Rebecca Gray, Kathy Gray, Nancy Huggett, myself, Dan Lalonde. <laughs> no applause. No applause. And of course, the Four Seasons! You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You feel like heaven in touch. I want to hold you so much. And now my love has arrived. Make me God of my life. 
just too deep to be true. Can I take my eyes off you? Special thank you for this episode goes out to Jesse's parents, Nancy Huggett and Dan Lalonde, as well as Kathy and Rebecca Gray. Jesse Huggett played the role of herself and the hospital doctors. Dan Lalonde played the role of the announcer. The music you heard at the end of the show is, of course, the music of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Speak is hosted by... Debbie the Dragon Ratcliffe. Co-hosted and produced by Rachel Gray. Music done by Jesse Stewart. Our audio technician is Aaron Flynn. And the podcast is presented in collaboration with CHUO 89.1 FM in partnership with Bronson Rise, a collective impact initiative of the Bronson Center. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends, your neighbors, your family, anybody that you know. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.